0: We are going to get started. There's lots of us here. Uh, if uh, if you didn't get a sheet, there are some more copies being made. Super glad to see so many of you. As we try to unpack. How do we understand what's happening in Israel and Palestine at the moment? And what are we as Jesus followers supposed to do as we think about what's happening in the Middle East? And so if you didn't get a sheet, there's more being made. You can grab one here in just a second. Uh, You will need it. Some places just to write a few things down. Uh, You will need a Bible too. So if you've got one on your phone or tablet, I want to encourage you to grab that. Uh, There may be a few extras up here as well if you need that. We're going to spend some time really in the Old Testament this morning, and it's, uh, it's really important that we can look at what the Scriptures say specifically about Israel and about Palestine, all right? Uh, I know this was said at early service, and we'll say it again at late as well. We will record the next three weeks. Uh, to make sure that you can catch it on the podcast. So if you're not here next week, but want to catch what we're doing, because it really is going to take us kind of three weeks to get through the content. Uh, Today is really about kind of foundations and origin. Uh, Next week is really going to be about how does Jesus fulfill some promises for the sake of Israel. And then in the last week, in, in week number three, we'll look a little bit about who is Israel today and what does that mean in terms of American foreign policy as it relates to Israel? So that's coming up in week three. So the third, 10th, and the 17th. Uh, but to get to those things, lots of us kind of want to get to the, to the third week first. But, but to get to those things, we really have to kind of plant ourselves in foundations and origins. Uh, so let me do this. Let me pray. <laughs> let me pray for me. And then, um, no, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll pray for, uh, for us and our understanding of the scriptures as God shapes us in it. So let, let's pray. Uh, good and gracious Father, we pray that today you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to your word. And as we discover this morning, uh, to your word of promise promise to the descendants of Abram. And so, Father, as we unpack this today, we pray that our presuppositions would be tossed aside that, Lord, we would hear clearly your spirit in this word. So we pray blessing on this time that we share in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, two questions just to get you started really at your table. Uh, I want you to take, uh, just please bear with me here. I want you to take maybe two or three minutes on your own right before we get to sort of groupthink, on your own and I want you just to answer the two questions there just what immediately comes to the top of mind the first one is what do you already know about Israel and Palestine what do you already know about their origins or about the ongoing conflict again just jot some ideas down and then two what are you hopeful to get out of our time together and where do you need clarity so just two minutes on your own and then I'm going to give you some time to share at the table briefly before we dive in. All right? So two minutes. I'll tell you when your two minutes are over so that you can talk. But let's just uh, get a few thoughts on paper first. All right. The time is up. <laughs> As a table, I just want you to share some of the things that you've written down. What do you know, right, about origins and foundations? What do you know about the conflict presently? And what do you hope to get? We're going to take two minutes, not a lot of time, to share it around the table, and then we're going to dive in. All right, go. All right, come on back. I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to get to Matthew 15, Matthew 15. Obviously, we know that there is a conflict that is happening. And friends, we're we're gonna we're gonna discover today that it has been happening a very long time. But as we think about conflict, as we think about conflict, Jesus has something to say about conflict. So uh, Matthew 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read, uh, just for time's sake and brevity's sake, I want you to follow along. There's space here to write anything that just kind of jumps off the page. I'll make some notes along the way, uh, but just for you to capture some of the thoughts here. So Jesus having a conversation with Pharisees and scribes, and in many ways, we're having a conversation about external and internal worlds, right? What's happening externally and what's happening internally, There's kind of this battle between external and internal. So right at verse 1, Matthew 15, Then the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to Jesus in Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered, this is Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And... Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given over to God, he need not honor his father. And so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. Then he, Jesus, called the people to him, and he said, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into it. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness slander these are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anybody Uh, so so a couple things remember we're talking about external and internal things if we're going to understand conflict and what's happening uh, in israel and palestine we have to understand the distinction between external and internal And Jesus, Jesus is describing the internal world and saying that every evil comes from inside. Every evil comes from inside, specifically from inside the human heart. Every every evil comes from the human heart, right? Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony. So in other words, and I've got this highlighted for you, every conflict including this one between israel and palestine has its beginning in the hearts of humanity right? humanity is broken that's where evil begins in the heart of humanity so every conflict including this one has its beginning in the evil heart of humanity no one is exempt from the brokenness of sin right uh, lots of you have seen my mug i drink out of it every day. Most Sundays as well. Acronym P-A-N-D-G. This was given to me by my former senior pastor who said, if you're going to be a senior pastor, this is the one truth you have to know. The acronym is that people are no damn good. (laughs) So that's all you need to know as a senior pastor. If you start there, right, if you start there, everything gets better. But he did remind me that you're the first person to drink out of that cup every day. The the truth is, is that nobody's good. Nobody. In other words, the beginning here of the conflict is nobody's in the right. Not Israel, not Palestine. Everybody's broken. Jesus is really clear. Nobody's in the right here. Everybody's broken. People, P-A-N-D-G, right? People are no damn good. A couple of references to that. Let's look at this. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. So the beginning of the Bible. Again, we're going to move through the Bible pretty quickly in order to get to what we need to talk about. So Genesis 6, uh, starting at verse 5. Right? Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Uh, my, my sort of title for this section uh, that an editor put in, right, is the increasing corruption on the earth. It's only getting worse, right? By Genesis 6, everything went kind of downhill in Genesis 3, and three chapters later, it's just getting worse. So verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Again, if I'm I'm making notes here, every intention of the thought of the heart was only evil continually. So Jesus, right, in Matthew, is picking up on something that was rooted all the way back in Genesis 3, and now again in Genesis 6. Uh, God didn't make something rooted in evil. God made it in perfection, but God also gave us free will to choose. And in Genesis chapter 3, then we have God's uh, hope that humanity would choose the right. And in that moment, they didn't, right? They live in disobedience. So let's look at verse 11 of chapter 6. Same thing, verse 11. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. Now, I want to hang on to this for just a second. If you're making notes, this may be one that you want to make. That word violence, if you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is Hamas. Now, we're going to talk about the distinction between the Hebrew word and the Arabic word. Because what we know to be Hamas is not violence from the Hebrew scriptures. It's a totally different thing. So we'll get there. But it is worth noting that the Hebrew word is Hamas. It's how we translate violence. A different word, right? Hebrew and Arabic, not the same. And we'll get to that in just a second, but it's worth noting. The earth is filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh has corrupted their way on earth. Again, nobody's exempt. Everybody's broken. If we go to Psalm 14, now we're to the middle of the scripture. Psalm 14. Again, I said we're going to be all over the place and quickly. So, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. This is David writing. David, who's well aware of his own sin and his own brokenness, he writes, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. See, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is anyone who understands or any who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Let's look at the New Testament, Romans chapter 3. One more jump, Romans chapter 3. So go past the Gospels, past Acts, and then you hit Romans. So this is Romans 3, beginning at verse 9. So this is St. Paul now. And St. Paul, interestingly, is going to quote out of the Psalms uh, and also out of Isaiah. He says this, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already been charged that all, both Jews and Greeks. So we should hear in Paul, when he says Jews and Greeks, he means everybody, right? Another way to say this is that God's people and everybody else are all under sin. Hmm? Uh, Nobody's exempt. So he goes on, as it's written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who is he describing? Everyone. Right, everyone. Now, now, why is it important to start here? Right. I think it's important to start here because I have to start with this truth that nobody's in the right. Everybody is broken, whether Israel or Palestine doesn't matter right? Nobody's exempt from the brokenness of sin. We have to begin there. And ultimately, this is going to lead us into the future. We're not going to talk about it now, but ultimately, what fixes sin? Jesus, right? Death and resurrection, which means the only thing that can fix this conflict is It's bowing ultimately at the work of Jesus on cross and resurrection. Because we're dealing with an internal thing that manifests itself in some external things, but we have to deal with internal things. This this conflict is not going to go away until Jesus comes again. It exists. It's existed for a very long time. And my suspicion is, is that it won't end until Jesus comes again as Lord and King. Because then everyone, the scripture tells us, every knee will bow there. So let's look at the second side. I know I'm moving quickly, but I want us to get through these pieces. So thank you for hanging on. All right, just defining some terms briefly. Uh, this will be important as we continue to talk in the weeks to come. When we talk about Israel, when we talk about Israel, the Old Testament predominantly, the Old Testament talks about Israel not as a land, but as a people. That's really key for us to hold on to. The Old Testament predominantly talks about Israel not as a land, but as a people. Now, now, why does that matter? Because most of us, when we think about Israel, the first thing we think is a land. That, that's, that's not the predominant understanding of the Old Testament. It is a people. And we'll look more specifically next week at the <laughs> renaming, ultimately, of Jacob to become Israel. Right? Jacob is renamed Israel and his descendants become Israel, right? It's a people group, uh, not necessarily a nation. So let's hang on to that for just a second. Uh, Palestine, Palestine, when we refer to Palestine or Palestinians, uh, we're most often, and uh, Palestinians would say, they're, they're most often talking about a nationality. Palestinians is not synonymous with Muslims. Let me say that again, right? Palestinians is not synonymous with Muslims. There are a lot of Muslims who are Palestinian, but there are also Jewish Palestinians and Christian Palestinians. So so Palestine, when we think about Palestinians in particular, we're thinking really about kind of a a nationality. In many ways, we're thinking about a people group from a particular place, not necessarily a religious understanding. Let's talk about Hamas. Hamas. Right, Hamas I already said in Hebrew means violence. But what we think of Hamas or the group that is Hamas, right, which is functioning in Palestine, is actually out of Arabic. Now I've given you uh, the Arabic quote here, right? Uh, those of you, who anybody speak Arabic? Me neither, right? Uh, but you have this harakat al-muqawama al aslamiyah right? Which is really Arabic for the Islamic resistance movement. Hamas, as we know it, that group in Palestine, right? Hamas is an acronym of that saying. So I've highlighted the letters in the Arabic, which makes what we know to be Hamas. Right? It's the H of the first word, the A of the all, the M of the Muqualah, right? Al Islamia. That's Hamas. So when we think about who Hamas is, we're talking primarily about the Islamic resistance movement, which, can I say again, is not all of Palestine. This is a group of people inside of Palestine, most of whom are Palestinian, and most of whom are Arab-Palestinian or Muslims. But it's not all of Palestine. We should just be clear. All right, now we're going to get into the, to the guts of, I think, what's really going on. And to do that, we're going to have to get to Genesis chapter 15. And so it's, again, worth noting that the conflict that we are seeing play out today is a conflict that began in Genesis chapter 15 and following. And we're going to look at a, a number of pieces here in Genesis. Right, I'm going to start right at verse 1 of Genesis 15, so just come along. Again, I'll uh, write down what captures you, and then I'll, I'll make a couple of comments here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Remember, Abram is Abraham before he was renamed right, as a part of the covenant, so Abram. Uh, the Lord says to Abram, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, "Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus." And Abram said, "Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household, a member of my household, will be my heir." And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, "This man that is Eleazar of Damascus, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir." Now, if uh, this is my Bible, I would be circling that. Right, Abram's son is going to be the heir. And then he, that is the Lord, brought Abram outside and said, this is verse 5, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he, that is the Lord, said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Again, if this is my Bible, I'm circling this. So what have we, what have we heard so far? Uh, Abram's son is going to be heir. God's going to give a land to Abram and his family. Verse 8, Abram says, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all, and all these he cut in half, and he laid each half over against one another. Uh, but he didn't cut up the birds. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And what follows, ultimately what follows, is God making a covenant with Abram. That this is my promise to you. Uh, let's look at verse 18. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, to your offspring, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Be thankful you didn't have to read that in church. Right? <laughs> so if we're, just, if we're just hanging on, right, we know... God said that Abram's son is going to be the heir and that he's going to give to Abram and his descendants a land to possess, right? And that land is this land, ultimately the one of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all of these ites groups of people, right? Now, as the story continues, we're going to look at Genesis 16, and we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Uh, Now, this this sounds weird to our ears, uh, contemporary, culturally, like it just sounds weird. Not, Not at all odd at the time of Abram, right? The bearing of children for the sake of namesake, right? Or for the passing down of the name matters. And so using people in the household to do so, not all that uncommon uh, in the ancient Near East. And so Abram listens to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in. uh, He went into her and Hagar, she conceived. This is the beginning, friends. This is the very beginning of the conflict. Sarai is not able to bear children for Abram. She gives Abram to Hagar, her servant. Hagar conceives. And in that moment of conception, we read here in Genesis that there was contempt now between Hagar and Sarai. There's contempt. The beginnings of what is in the heart of humanity. Between the son, right? we're going to hear about him in just a second, the son of Hagar, and Sarai, and what will ultimately be the son of Sarah. So let's look right at verse 15. This is chapter 16, verse 15. And Hagar... Bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Ishmael becomes the father of the Ishmaelites. That makes sense to us, which we now know to be Arabs. Hmm. Uh, This is true in the Quran as well. They trace their lineage ultimately all the way back to Abram through Ishmael. So what we know to be Palestinian Arabs began as the son of Abram. Who, if we remember, God says the son is going to be an heir and the son is going to have land. This land that I'm going to show you, it's going to be for your descendants, of which, by the way, Ishmael is one of them. Let's look at chapter 17. This story continues. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, The only son that Abram has had so far is Ishmael. We're going to get the story of Isaac here in just a second, but it hasn't happened yet. All of these promises, all of these covenant promises are happening actually with Ishmael as the son. And so then when he says in seven, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and it'll be an everlasting covenant. The only thing at present that Abram can have in mind and the only thing at present that we can have in mind is Ishmael. Now we know the rest of the story. and we're, Like I said, we'll get to Isaac in just a second. So verse 8, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So... <clears throat> God has promised that to Abram's offspring he's going to give a land. Which is whom so far? Ishmael. Hmm. Then he says, verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. Uh, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and so in this case right in this case the sign of the covenant the external sign of an internal covenant is what we know to be circumcision Uh, let's look briefly at verses 19 through 23 in the middle of this in the middle of this verses 19 we hear these particular words. God said, "Uh, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Uh, As for Ishmael, I have heard you, behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And so in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this, is this promise that Sarah will conceive. She'll give birth to a son. And through that, ultimately, the covenant promises will be passed down. But not at the expense of Ishmael. Do you hear what he said about Ishmael? I'm going to make him into a great nation. It's going to be the father of 12 princes. He's still bearing the promise of the land, which God has promised to Abram and his descendants. And so if we just turn ahead again, chapter 17, verse 25. Verse 25. Abram, his whole household... Right? is circumcised. And we see in 25, Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So Ishmael is also bearing the sign of the covenant. So the father of what we now know to be Arabs or what we now know to be uh, ultimately the religion of Islam and our Muslims come from the firstborn son of Abram who's been covenanted a land to possess and who in his body bears the external sign of the covenant in circumcision. Now, chapter 21, I know I'm going fast, but this this is a lot of scripture here in Genesis chapter 20, uh, 15 and following. So just hang on. Chapter 21, uh, the conflict really intensifies between Hagar and ultimately Sarah. We're going to look first at verses 1 through 7. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. So Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. As God had commanded him. So now we have two sons. We have the son of a slave woman, right, Ishmael. And now we have the son ultimately of a promise, Isaac. But both, remember, right, both have the promise of a land that was given to Abram because they are descendants of Abram. Both. Ishmael and Isaac bear the external sign of the covenant in circumcision. Hmm? Let's look at verses 8 through 13. This is chapter 21. It says, and the child, now we're talking about Isaac ultimately, the child grew and he was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. I, I just really appreciate verse 11. He's sort of torn. Abraham, just as a human man. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water and he gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This, friends, is the origin of the conflict that we now see. The origin of the conflict we now see is between the son of a slave woman and the son of a free woman. Between Ishmael and Isaac, both of whom are descendants of Abram, both of whom are promised the land, both of whom bear the external sign of the covenant. And so what does that mean as so we're just thinking about today? I know at the bottom it's important then if we know the origins of the story that both Jews and Muslims fight for the land because they believe that if they don't possess the land, their relationship with God is in danger. Remember, it's promised to both. It's promised to the descendants of Abram. That is Ishmael and Isaac. They both are going to fight for the land because they believe that if they don't possess it, their relationship with God is in danger. In other words, their zealousness for the land, their zealousness has deep theological and religious undertones. I think one of the things that's often missed in the conflicts that are happening not only today, but have happened in our recent past when we think about Israel and Palestine, is we miss the covenant promises both to Ishmael and to Isaac. We miss that ultimately both Arabs and Jews are going to fight for the land because they believe that it was promised to them. And friends, we we can't deny that, actually, when we look at the story of Genesis 15 and following. Right? We we, we just can't deny that, that it is to both of them. And so I, I think we sometimes approach this without that sort of theological undergirding of where the origins began and where the conflict began and why it is both people groups are fighting with such zealousness for land I say here, each son or people group believes that God promised them a land and a nation. A land which is directly connected to their theological understanding of paradise. They both need the land. They both promised land. Now, we're going to take uh, about six minutes. We just, <laughs> we just went through a whole heck of a lot of a story to get to kind of this simple truth. But it's a big one that we have to hang on to as we think now, what is Israel in the Old Testament? How do we understand who Israel is? Who's Israel today? How do we understand the land of Israel? What are we going to do with that? But we have to understand how it all began and why there's such zealousness for land. Because it is the promise of God to both sons, to the descendants of Abram. And my hope is just to create some clarity for us that makes us pause long enough to maybe just think, okay, they're fighting for the land. It's much deeper than what happened in 1948. It's much deeper than that. But actually, it has its roots all the way back in the book of Genesis. I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful by just stopping here, we pause long enough to realize how deep and how long this conflict has been going on. And my hope is to provide a bit of opportunity for empathy for both groups of people. Right? Both groups of people, inherently valuable. Right? We believe that when God creates humanity, he creates them in his image, every single one of them. And because that's true, there is inherent worth. It doesn't matter if I'm a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian. Every single one every single one, inherently worthy. It bears the image. And so for us then as God's people to, to pause and to have a bit of empathy, both with Jews and with Muslims, both of whom are grieving the loss of life. I, I can't deny that families, whether Jewish or Islamic, are weeping because their sons and their daughters aren't coming home. We should care about that. And it's not as simple right, as sort of just what happened in 1948 when Israel becomes a state. It's rooted in some very, very, very clear promises in Genesis 15 and following. So again, I'm hoping for just a little bit of pause that we don't react too quickly Uh, to what's happening in israel and palestine to understand its theological origins but also to create some empathy for people who are living there Uh, let me do this i'm going to give you maybe just uh just a minute or two at your table uh, is there anything that's unclear in what we just did? Again, sort of by fire. We, we went very quickly. So take maybe like a minute and a half. Is there anything that's unclear? We'll ask some questions about that. And if there's something that I know is coming up in week two or three, I'm just going to say we'll get to that in week two or in week three. All right. So at your table for just a minute, anything unclear, and then we'll take questions. Okay. All right. Come on back. Come on back. Again, I, take a few. We'll take a few questions. Uh, but if if I know if I know that the answer to your question is going to come in week two or week three, uh, then I'm just going to reserve the right to tell you that it's coming in week two or week three, uh, so that we can try to get try to get clarity around the content of today. Right? Uh, we'll talk about some of the other things earlier. Yeah, Lloyd. Yep. What about Hamas? Is it a mixed religion? Is like when we think radical groups? I call it radical groups. I think it could be a mixed religion. Group. Is Hamas, are they all Muslim? They yeah, so the question from Lloyd is Hamas, right? Is, is Hamas a uh, mixed religion? The answer is no. Right? It is the Islamic resistance movement you know, made up of Muslims. You know? Extremists, but Muslims nevertheless. You know? There's not Jewish Hamas. Right? There's not Christian Hamas. There's Islamic Hamas. Yeah? It's a good question. Right? Yeah, Mike? Yeah, Pastor, we were wondering what the Quran might say about the other side, like Sarah and Isaac. Do they acknowledge Isaac? Do you know if they acknowledge Isaac as does the Bible obviously talks about Ishmael. Yeah, So, the, so the Quran does mention Isaac. Yep. Okay uh the quran also mentions jesus right. so uh, just just their mention uh, begs some other questions but uh, in a similar way that we're we're going to watch now the son of isaac right so we're going to watch abraham and isaac and then we're going to watch jacob jacob who becomes israel right we're going to pay attention because as we read right this this is where god is going to put down his covenant people right. so so we're going to follow that in the same way the quran is going to follow ishmael right and watch how this becomes quote the covenant people Right With Allah, in this case. Yeah. So, if the, if the land of all of the Ites, yeah. the land that we're talking about, yeah. and is that what we see on a map that's Jerusalem or Israel? Right? Yeah. So, Frank has a really great question. Uh, the land that we're talking about, all the land of the Ites, right? Um, but I can't wait till we read that as a part of church, and we're going to give it to somebody. and It's going to be really good. Um <laughs> Is that the land we're talking about? Yes. So that is the land that we're talking about. Now, what's interesting is if we think about what we know to be present-day Israel, the state of Israel, including the Gaza Strip, which, by the way, Israel gave to Palestine, um, if we we think about that, the only two people groups who are now living in that land, it's not the Jebusites, it's not the Kenites or the Kenizzites, it's not any of them, the only two people groups living in that land now And this is loose, but who are those two people groups, do you suspect? The sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. Right? So in many ways, the promise that was made all the way back in Genesis 15 is true today. Abram's descendants possess the land. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Karen. Yeah. Are you saying that the? Um, are you saying that we all worship the same God? Uh, so, so the question Karen is saying before Jesus: Are we all worshiping the same God? The answer is uh, a clear and unequivocal: No, we don't. Right? Uh, what I'm hopeful that we get today is that we see again origins and foundations in the same promise, right, to the sons of Abram. Now, how the Quran is actually going to flesh out the relationship between humanity and Allah, and how the scriptures, right, how the scriptures and the son of Isaac in this sense, how we're going to talk about our relationship are different. Mm. They're absolutely different. The Quran describes God differently than the scriptures do. Mm. They are not the same person, and they're not described as the same person. Mm. Very different when you read the Quran. So the answer is no, right? But nevertheless, both groups of people are going to put their family tree in Abram, right? Both groups of people are going to put their family tree there. All right, that's all the time we've got. Uh, Some of us have to get to church. It's weird if the preacher doesn't show up. So uh, we're, we're back next week, and we'll dig in a little bit more to who Jacob is as he turns into Israel. How do we think about Israel in the Old Testament and a bigger picture of Jesus, all right? All right, get out, in Jesus' name.